Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly, host of Southern Fried True Crime. I cover contemporary and historical cases and I love listener suggestions. And like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone and anything. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format, kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. This is State of Fear Podcast, episode number 38 for Oregon. I'm your host, Chris Davila, and with me from far away, but not too far, because he's still in Houston, is my good buddy, my constant co-host, James Bishop. What's up, James? Hey, good evening, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing all right for a Sunday evening. Not too bad. How was your weekend? Indeed. It was very nice, man. Took a nice long ride on my motorcycle, just got some night air and just been chilling out, man, not doing too much, you know, with all this COVID crap going on and just trying to scale things back. So I will say to our lovely listening audience, we'll probably be doing a few of these for a little while until things calm down. So we'll probably be doing a little bit of remote stuff. So if it doesn't sound the same, I apologize. I'll tell you what, I'll though. just try to sound glorious from afar, you know. <laughs> You know, we live in extraordinary times when we can do this, though, which is great. I mean, you know. If, Indeed we do. Indeed if, we do. If something happens and, and we're all being forced to not go within anywhere like 30 feet of our house, at least we can get online and still hang yep. out. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, sir. And I, like I said, I'll be over there before we know it, hugging up on my mic saying, oh, man, That's I miss right. you so much. No, we'll be good. Yeah, we'll, we'll be all right. 
All right, I'm just glad we got that technology. Yes, I am too. I mean, we got so much going on, but we still have plenty of ways to keep in touch with all our good friends. Indeed we do, my friend. I'm glad of that. Well, let's get into, uh, again, today's state is Oregon. Oregon. Uh, Oregon. Uh, tell me uh, some of your experience of Oregon, James. Well, buddy, my uh, experiences are in Oregon are uh, fairly limited. It's one of the states I've spent uh, not too much time in. Pretty much all I've done up there is go through some of the redwood forests. The Pacific Northwest is gorgeous. So, yeah, I like roaming around through those states, but I haven't been through Oregon that much. As a matter of fact, I've only been there twice, mainly driving through it, once from Washington down to California along the coast road. I didn't get to do the whole 101 all the way down the coast thing, but mm. I've, I've driven through it. Uh, I do have a friend that lives close there, okay. and as a matter of fact... Yep, she lives in Washington, though. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> right now, I'm not a big fan of Oregon. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, because of uh, some of the way that some of the things that they've pulled lately. So gotcha. You know, I'm just going to leave the politics out the window. But yeah, we'll just, yeah. We'll just leave it at that. We, we are not a political <laughs> podcast. We leave that shit there. Well, okay. Well, then why don't we go ahead and get to some of the uh, interesting facts about Oregon, shall we? And why don't you start us off? I will be glad to do that, good sir. Portland is also home to the most strip clubs per capita than any other city in the country. Wow. Hmm. That might explain a few things. You know, <laughs> maybe next time you're in Oregon, stop and check out Portland's vast strip clubs. Yep. Let's see. In 1994, Oregon became the first U.S. state to legalize Physician-assisted suicide, resulting in Oregon suicide rates being some of the highest in the nation. That pisses me off. What else you got? Well, well, you know what? I also, I believe, and that's kind of weird. That's one of those uh, really touchy topics. Uh-huh. But if somebody's hopelessly, hopelessly terminal and in pain and wants to get out of it, mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of torn between that. You know, it's like... You know, do we let God take them when they want, or do we let them make their own decision? You know, I guess you just have to leave that to the hands of fate. Yeah. Anyway, the next good fact, mm -hmm. Cr Crater Lake is the deepest in the U.S. and was actually pooled in the remains of a volcano. I have actually been there. Cool. The deepest lake in the United States, Crater Lake, was formed more than 6,500 years ago within the remains of an ancient volcano. The crystal blue waters of Crater Lake are known worldwide. Man, that, yeah, I'm looking at a picture right now. It's That's a gorgeous-looking lake right there. It is. It's, it's almost surreal-looking. Yeah. Well, uh, another end, on the other end of that, Mills End Park, sometimes mistakenly called Mills End Park, is a tiny urban park located in the median strip of Southwest Natal Parkway, approaching Esplanade along the Willamette River near Southwest Taylor Street in downtown Portland. That's a lot of damn streets is around by. Yeah, I do. This official, <laughs> this official park is a small circle two feet across with a total area of 452 square inches mills Inn park was designated as a city park in 1948 it is the smallest park in the world according to the guinness book of records which first granted it this recognition in 1971 it's literally a tiny little round median with one tree in it that is awesome <laughs> that's pretty cool i yeah. have to give it to him on that one that's pretty damn cool what else you got buddy 
The Tillernook Cheese Factory is the mm. largest cheese factory in the world and a popular tourist attraction for all ages. Love cheese. Visitors can see cheese being made, and I think of Schmunch String when I think of that, mm. you know, when the mouse took over and started making cheese. That's right, yeah. Visitors can see cheese being made and learn about the cheese-making process by taking a self-guided tour. A gift shop with a wide variety of items, including cheese and other fine food products, is open during business hours. Yeah, what are they going to sell? Cheeseburgers? Man. I mean, that's awesome. I buy, I buy all the cheese I got. I love cheese. Cheese is some good stuff. Mm-hmm. What else you got, bro? Speaking of Tillamook, uh, with over 80 ghost towns listed on the National Register, Oregon holds the nation's top spot as the ghost town capital. One of the does it does Ah. 80 ghost towns on the register. One of the funniest ghost towns you may not know about is called Idiotville. (laughs) (laughs) Idiotville is a ghost town and former community located in Tillamook County in Oregon near the mouth of Idiot Creek on the Wilson River. There's a lot of idiots in Oregon. That's freaking awesome right there. I love it. On the route of Oregon Route 6, Idiotville's elevation is 1,200 feet. It is in the Tillamook State Forest along the Tillamook-Washington County line, and it says Tillamook like 16 more times, approximately 50 miles <laughs> <laughs> west-northwest of Portland. Nothing remains at the site. Oh, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Idiotville. There's yeah. a town over there. <laughs> I can't find it. Keep looking, you damn idiot. You know Where's the like, creek? I don't see the creek. It's right it. there. There's idiot creek right yep. there. Where? Where? Oh, right. you friggin' dumbass. Let's get into some famous Oregonians, shall we? Absolutely. What you got, bud? We have Miss Sally Struthers, as mm. uh, most of you know, is Gloria from All in the Family. But her bigger claim to fame she was the head of the christian children's fund for several years i don't know if she's actually still doing it and i haven't seen her on tv in forever Hmm. and honestly i'm embarrassed to say i don't even know she's still alive i'm sure she is (laughs) i haven't heard of her dying but you know she used to do it and people used to accuse her and this may sound mean and stuff but she got rather large it's like is she trying to help feed the children or is she eating the children because that bitch got huge all the food you sent to the children went to her first tasted it and ate most of it before they sent I it off. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, and speaking of dying, River Phoenix is from Oregon. He is uh, the uh, uh. 90s acting child phenom uh, who was is also the brother of River. Uh, I mean, of um, River is the brother of Joaquin, of course. And he also played young Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. He certainly did. I really like that part that he played. He did a very good job. He did a very good job, yeah. What else you got, bud? Man, I like this one. My boy Tommy Thayer, the lead guitar player for the rock band Kiss. Legendary. One I love favorites. this guy, man. He's a, He was a good fill-in for Ace. I mean, mm-hmm. I always loved Ace and everything, but I've seen Kiss several times live, and this guy jams, man. I love him to death. Tommy! Yeah, you're a big, you're a giant, giant Kiss fan, right? Number one, number one fan, right? Enormous, yes. enormous. Yep. Yes. And those of you who've seen his Facebook page, can concur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Last time I saw him, I was it was here in Sugarland, and uh, I wore uh, full makeup along with my oldest son. We decked out and went in there, and we got some good attention. We had a lot of fun. It was great. Yeah, I saw that picture, man. You, you guys look awesome. Very awesome. <laughs> And last but not least, we're going to go with Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons Futurama. Um, he is from 
Springfield, Oregon. And that's also where he based his Simpsons town at. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture throughout the season, the 31 seasons of, of Simpsons, because they're in Springfield, but they yep. never say which state. And there's like four Springfields in the country, and they never would say what state. There's even a, a, in the movie, there's even a joke that um, they go to this the top of this mountain and they can see the four states that that border Springfield, and the states they name off are nowhere near each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to give away work, but but yeah, he he based it off of his uh, town in Springfield, Oregon. So yeah, well, there's lots of Springfields, and I think all of them tried to claim fame. Oh yeah, of course. I think uh, I think there's a Indiana. I mm-hmm. think there's a Springfield. Uh, I think there's one in Illinois. I mean, I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, they all said, "Hey, they based on us." Kiss my ass, Springfield, <laughs> Oregon. Y'all lose. I mean, there's an, there's an Illinois, there's a uh, Missouri, there's um, what do you? Yeah, call that's it? true. Yeah, there's and there's there's a whole bunch of different Springfields in in uh, Springfield, Oregon, of course, Springfield, Tennessee. So yeah, Springfield is just it's it's like Alan Smithy. It's just it's just a very generic name. Exactly. And what the hell? They have a bag full of names, and they were going along. Okay, we're gonna name this town this. We're gonna name this town, and we're out. Just put them all back in there, and we'll we'll draw again. Yeah, and just keep going. Because <laughs> I mean, if you go across the country, you got like there's more than one Houston. There's more than one Austin. Mm-hmm. There's more. You know, I think there's only one New York, but uh, you yeah, know I what I mean. So but yeah, mainly there's a lot of different names. I mean, we've got Paris here. We've got all kinds of whack ass names. I so. mean, we got Odessa. Odessa's a uh, yes, uh, we do. Russian name, but we got Odessa here, so yeah. Odessa. Hell, we we got we got a city named Kermit, you know, <laughs> based on Kermit the Frog. So yeah. Well, see, I can't do my Kermit arms and go, <laughs> you know, because nobody will see it. No, <laughs> even I won't see it because I'm not doing videos. So I won't even see it. That is true. Only your Absolutely. cat will see it. That's it. That's true. <laughs> they already think I'm crazy. <laughs> All right, but while we get to your uh, weird news story of the day, indeed we shall. Greetings, all you intellectuals, and welcome to another session of Weird News. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. I like that. Hey, you know, I got to try to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> I say the same thing every time. I start sounding like Sam the Eagle from the Bubba Show. Oh, yeah. I love Sam. No inflection. Just, rah. but anyway, hit it. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, from what the suck is. Have to always get don't know. One out of the way. That's right. Go on, buddy. Anyway, today's news story is a very cool little bit uh, from the Ripley's.com website written by Ingrid Barnett, and it is along a topic that a lot of us always wonder, and that is, do celebrities always die in threes? Despite the hype, stars do not depart this veil of tears and triplets. It's one of the oldest superstitions in pop culture, the notion that movie stars and celebs always give up the ghost in a group of three. You know what? I Personally, I, 
I always think it happens that way. At least that seems that way. But yeah, to uh, me at least, yeah. Might also. be that Mandela stuff we were talking about. Oh, the Mandela effect. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yep. And it does happen from time to time. After all, the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, and Buddy Holly all died in one 24-hour period in 1959. Of course, they perished in the same plane crash, so I think we can agree that their circumstances were exceptional. But what other situations? Like when fashion designer Kate Spade, television chef Anthony Bourdain, and actor Jackson O'Dell all passed away within a matter of days. Mm. Spade and Bourdain actually died by suicide, which was very sad. Mm -hmm. And O'Dell was found unresponsive in a sober living home, it's called. Tragic events. Might there be more than coincidence at play? Research indicates the answer is a firm no. (laughs) Just no. It says, to keep reading, to learn more about how a careful examination of vital records and statistics disproves the myth that celebrities die in threes. Mm. Of course, I'm going to keep reading. Quit trying to tell me what to do. That's right, jerk. Anyway, an urban legend with serious street cred. In 2014, after the passing of Robin Williams, which I hated, I love that guy, mm-hmm. and and Lauren Bacall, the world held its breath. Who would be the third celebrity to die? As people waited for the other shoe to drop, they relied on anecdotal evidence from the past to justify their macabre anticipation. After all, we can think of at least ten instances when celebrities have died in threes. They include the summer of death in 2009 when the world lost three pop icons back-to-back, Ed McMahon, Farrah Fawcett, and Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, wow, that's right. Or how about 2014 when the greedy Grim Reaper took actress Ann B. Davis, Alice from the Brady Bunch, Mm -hmm. baseball legend Don Zimmer, and actor Rick Mayall. And no one can forget the deaths of rock legend David Bowie, actor Alan Rickman, who I, man, I love I that love guy. him, yeah, he's great. And Renee Angelil, husband and manager of Celine Dion in oh, 2016. Yeah. That's right. Add to this Alan Thicke, George Michael, and Carrie Fisher. And it has to be more than coincidence, right? Man. Wrong. Researchers now have mathematical proof that this urban legend is fiction. Not a fact. No matter how strong the human tendency remains to seek patterns in life, unexpected events. Disproving the celebrity rule of threes. Hmm. The New York Times upshot examined the statistical prevalence of celebrity deaths in threesomes. How did they do this? They started by defining a quote-unquote celebrity as anyone with an obituary running at least 2,000 words or longer. This word count is equivalent to 67% of a full-length printed page. For some context, consider the obituary that ran for Lauren Bacall in 2014. It came in at a respectable 3,000 words. On the other end of the spectrum, there was the obituary for Pope John Paul II, which contained a whopping 13,363 words. Wow. Compare these words... Compare these word counts to your average Joe, a mere 200 to 450. <laughs> we don't get jack shit. No, we don't. And you can see why this filter provided useful in identifying quote unquote famous decedents. Mm. Famous? Famous? Let's, let's leave that in. Yeah, that new out. word. We made it up. Yep. Researchers identified 449 celeb obits since 1990 using this filter. 
In 75 cases, two stars perished within three days of each other. But here's the kicker. They only found seven instances where three celebrities died within five days of each other. These findings fell well within the confines of quote-unquote random chance. Hmm. A loose definition of celebrity is the next section. It's worth noting that the definition of quote-unquote a celebrity proved somewhat ambiguous in the study. After all, some individuals who led important, albeit unglamorous lives, got filtered into the results. They included people like Dr. Jonas Salk, the polio vaccine inventor, and Albert Shankar, the teacher's union leader. See, those to me, those are more important than any actor or actress. Yeah. Were Salk and Shankar actual celebrities? We highly doubt their names would appear in entertainment tonight. Infamous individuals, including mass-murdering dictators like Pol Pot and Idi Amin, also mm. fell into the study's celeb category. Yet, none... <clears throat> Yet, none of us would celebrate these monsters as stars. And, of course, some very famous people had obits too short to make the cut, mm -hmm. like Amy Winehouse. Oh, yeah. Nonetheless, the New York Times study is among the first to make significant headway towards scientifically disproving the notion that celebs die in threes. Yet, perhaps the most profound and interesting question remains, why we seek these patterns in the first place? Which is interesting, because, you know, like I said, I think that's an obsession. When, you know, you got... Celebrities start dying. What's the first thing everybody around you always starts to say? Well, who's next? Yeah, exactly. You know, they just wait. Mm -hmm. So let's answer that question. Why do humans seek patterns in life? Scientists speculate that establishing meaningful patterns helped our ancestors survive in nature. When a primitive ancestor heard a rustle in the bushes, they could assume it was just the wind. Yeah, sure, or a damn bear. Yeah. Or they could see a pattern based on previous encounters with cave bears and make a run for it. <laughs> In the latter case, even if the rustling turned out to be the wind, there was no harm, no foul. But for an ancestor who mistook a bear for the wind, well, you've seen the Revenant, and you know what happened next. <laughs> oh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, you mean you, mean, uh, you win an Oscar? Oh my God! Finally, yeah. and take you know, take a hot steamy bath, you know, out in the middle of nothing. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you what, man, that was a great movie. Yeah, it was. we won't we won't skew. Nah, not this time. Not this time. <laughs> As descendants of individuals who survived by finding meaningful patterns in life, we can't shake the habit. The act of pattern seeking, even where patterns don't exist, is known as apophenia, and it could lead to downright superstitious behavior. Hmm. And that I agree. Yeah. Like carrying a rabbit's foot or knocking on wood at the mm -hmm. first talk of trouble. Yeah. What's more, the number three proves a potent figure in our society. We raise our children on this number, from the three bears to the three blind mice, and it represents an ideal number in everything from artistic compositions to landscaping and religious doctrine, the Holy Trinity, of course. Mm -hmm. When it's all said and done, the idea of celebrities dying in twos while statistically sounder proves far more cosmically satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Does this research mean that pattern searching is an altogether wasted endeavor? Not necessarily. Researchers also remind us that looking for patterns in life remains a vital aspect of living. Just remember to hold your observations up to some scientific scrutiny. After all, the polar opposite of pattern hunting is total oblivion. Which, yeah, I know several people like that. Sure, existing in this state today won't make you a saber-toothed lion sack lunch especially since they don't exist, mm -hmm. but it could get you mugged or run over in a busy crosswalk. As John Hoops, professor of anthropology at the University of Kansas notes, quote, it's always better to recognize a pattern and be prepared to deal with it rather than ignore it. That said, there is no need to hold your breath when it comes to clusters of celebrity death. That doesn't ever bother me, unless it's like John Wayne. <laughs> As it turns out, the Grim Reaper is no more generous with famous people than it is with the rest of us. Yeah, of course. And that, my brother, is my story. I cool, kind of found man. interesting. Yeah. I like that. That yeah. one's all right. I always love the idea of, of things happening in the threes with the celebrity deaths or whatever. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, in the, in the end, when we die, we're all the same. Well, I don't know. Just we shall see. It just all depends on how we choose to go out, I guess, huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> when it doesn't matter whether whether the Grim Reaper comes for you know me, you, or um, you know Chris Evans, we're all in the event, in the end we're all dead. We're all going to some place. All so, worm dirt. Yeah. That's right. So all all that money you made, all of that stuff you did, doesn't matter in the end because you still did. Unless we rem unless we're remembered by our loved ones. Oh Which, yeah, well there's there there's that. I mean, yeah, but it doesn't matter to you because you're dead. So what does it matter? True that. You know, unless you're a colossal douche, then people will forget about you, and who cares anyway, right? Oh uh, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. That's true. Either way, you're dead. <laughs> you still don't care. You're dead. Yeah. The only thing yes, that, the only thing that affects is people who are still alive, but it doesn't matter to you because you're dead. You'll no, but that, that's a cool story. I always love hearing about the the death and threes and stuff like that. Yep, that was cool. So. Yeah. Anyway, right, man. why don't we get on to your awesome story, my brother? All right, man. Let's let's do it. Okay, so for today's story, we actually have sort of a hybrid. We got something that's part true crime, something that's part urban legend. Uh-oh, so, getting dangerous out there, bro. That's right. Today, we're going to discuss Lafayette, Oregon's... Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you got to check out Kohl's. I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. 
select styles. 50% offer ends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store calls account for details. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly, host of Southern Fried True Crime. I cover contemporary and historical cases, and I love listener suggestions. And like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone and anything. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format, kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. Richard Marple and the Witch of Lafayette, Oregon. Fantastic. So I got to, all of my research is from about four or five different sites. And as always, we will post the research site links in the, 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 the story notes. So if you're looking for more information, you can go click on those. Yes. So the town of Lafayette, especially its cemetery, is said to have a curse over it since the 1800s when a woman accused of witchcraft was hanged for her supposed crimes. Before she died, she placed a curse on the town that it would burn down three times. Now, apparently since then, it has burned down twice. I couldn't find a lot of rec- information on that. I did find that the courthouse burned down in 1857, um, but that just could have been to anything, really. Her ghost is said to roam the cemetery where she was killed to this day. Now, passing through the Iron Gates at the bottom of the hill, it's said people feel like they're crossing an otherworldly threshold. The long path winds between trees, barely visible as it makes its way to the top of the hill. Whispers are heard on the wind, and the stories are told from those who've been there before and those who say they have the scars to prove it. Little is known about the woman who supposedly hanged as a witch in Lafayette, Oregon. Only tales passed down from older generations to today's youth. Now, there's actually, there's, there's, that's kind of true, kind of not true, because the, the, the story that we're going to get into is, talks about how the witch that was, the witch hung, was hung and then cursed the town. But then there's another section, another story talks about the witch's son was, was hanged or hung. And because he was hanged, she cursed the town. But we'll get into what the actual truth is at wow. later on. Yeah. Interesting fashion. The whole three patterns of three things. That's uh, kind of a neat little fold in there. Mm -hmm. I thought so as well. Yeah. What is said is that she was accused of being a witch and therefore hung. Now, methods of witch coercion in the 1850s were, to say the least, brutal. A person accused of being a witch had quite the smorgasbord of painful devices to look forward to, each more painful than the last. Efforts to obtain confessions included branding, whipping, and being put on public display in the stocks. If the usual methods didn't yield a confession, pressing in which the accused was placed beneath the board and rocks were piled on until a confession was obtained or the victim was crushed was often used, as it was holding the victim's head underwater until she drowned. More painful methods included thumbscrews and quote-unquote witch's sandals, which were metal shoes which were heated red hot and then placed on the victim's feet. Holy crap. That's, that's, that's freaking insane. I mean... It's like, come on, and I'm going to put your feet in these burning things. You're going to tell me you're a witch. And when you scream in pain and say, okay, okay, I'm a witch, then they kill your ass. Where do you win? You know, I I think I just found the one shoe more feared than the chunkla. I think you're right. 
Absolutely. And I can remember we talked about this when we uh, discussed our uh, Delaware episode. Was No, not Delaware. It was uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's mm-hmm. right. With the witches. No, there. no, you're we right. You're right. About all the, uh, stuff Connecticut. Went on right. back there. Yeah, you're right. It was Connecticut. It was uh, the witch of Connecticut. That's right. One of our first Connecticut. episodes. Connecticut. Yeah, that's right. However, the method of coercion, the legend states the woman was found guilty of practicing witchcraft and sentenced to hang. On the eve of her hanging, the woman confessed her religion in the most profound way by laying a curse upon the city of Lafayette, saying that by her word, the city would burn to the ground three times. She was hanged, and her body said to be buried in what would become Lafayette Cemetery. Now, I was wondering, do you do you remember whether or not, like, when they actually bury a witch, don't they actually cut them into pieces and bury them in different boxes and stuff like that? I don't remember. For fear, for fear of them coming back or something like that? I don't remember if that's the... I mean, because if, if she's burned, she's probably... I mean, I don't know. She's probably pretty pretty uh, mutilated anyway. So, but I, it, it does... In the back of my head, that does sound familiar. But then I'm all, I don't know if I'm mixing that up with, like, maybe a horror movie I watched or, or a book I read that, that did that. But, I mean... Yeah, I think I'm watching too much American Horror Story. Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I at this point, I can't tell what's something i read and something i just was watching on tv and was like oh that's pretty cool since that time the city of lafayette has burned to the ground twice the first fire ravages the town in 1857 again the only thing i could find was that the courthouse burned down in 57 not the rest of the town but you know gotcha. le- legends like to like to exaggerate things of course they do since the second fire leveled the town many have lived in fear that the witch's curse might come true now the paranormal activity in the cemetery goes as thus. While most people agree that a cemetery as old as Lafayette should and probably does have several resident ghosts, there is only one that causes people alarm and is supposedly the witch herself. From the moment one passes the cemetery gates, it becomes clear that there are others watching. Feelings of dread and foreboding are common, intensifying the closer one comes to the top of the hill. All that, however, can be easily attributed to the imagination. It is, after all, a cemetery. More difficult to assign to the realm of imagination is the fact that many people have said they've seen the witch. Several amateur ghost hunters have reported seeing her standing just at the outskirts of the main burial area, while others have claimed to have been followed. Still more have Hmm. watched as she strolls through the cemetery as if she's watching over the graves and laughing at those interred within. Many who took a chance and entered into the cemetery have their own souvenirs of the experience. A woman who was new to the area went with her husband in June of 2002 to see what the fuss was all about. When they got back home and reviewed their videotape, they were startled to hear a woman's voice moaning, Run home in the playback. <laughs> what is she? Is she a baseball coach? <laughs> I don't know. What, that what, is funny. Were they on third base or something? What the hell? The most dramatic evidence of the witch's presence, however, is of a grisly nature. Those that have lingered too long in the cemetery at night say they've been chased away by the witch and that she screams and lashes at them with pointed talons. When skeptics... Oh, the hell with that. I mean, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to find this witch and we're going to tell her, yo, cut your shit. When... <laughs> <laughs> Look. Oh, shit. After 15 years, Supernatural has ended. The Winchesters are no more. So we need to pick up their slack. you damn right. So we need to buy a uh, 67 Impala at first before we do anything else. No, Hey, no problem. I'll, I'll get on it. Awesome. When skeptics laugh and tell them it was their imaginations, they are met with the scars on the backs of their victims. 
It seems that the scars were made by something sharp as a razor, slashing down at them from above. According to them, it was the witch, furious with having her resting place disturbed. Yeah, it's, it couldn't be an owl or some shit. Or no. just maybe you ran into a tree and scratch your back on a tree or something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, n- none of that is plausible, right? Nah, nah. She can be seen at night, though her presence is felt all day long. There doesn't seem to be a best time to visit the site as sightings occur year-round and with no real pattern. The 2002 sighting and voice recording occurred in the summer month of June, but there have also been reported activity in the dead of winter and the cool months of spring. Since the city has already burned twice, however, be on the lookout for floating embers. So before we get into Richard Marple and that whole story, I just want to take a minute as a season i can't even say expert because there's no such thing as experts but it's a seasoned paranormal investigator and reiterate and remind people that cemeteries are not haunted please stop going to cemeteries they're not haunted people did not die there now there's the rare exception like uh the lady in chicago um resurrection mary who was killed hit by a car and killed in front of the cemetery so yeah Mm -hmm. that makes sense why she'd be there but 99.95% of the people in the cemetery did not die in the cemetery. Um, so there's really no reason for them to be in the cemetery. Uh, I have never encountered a cemetery that's been haunted. Anytime you go, if you take pictures and you get orbs, if your flash is on, which will be clearly visible in the picture, that's bullshit because it's not orbs. It's the dust and the yes. water droplets in the cemetery being reflected by the flash of your camera so absolutely james you want to add anything to that you you covered it man uh the only thing i would think about if anybody was ever buried if anybody actually ever died at the cemetery i'm thinking like mob stuff somebody who knew too much something best thing you can do is dig them you know dig up a fresh grave and bury them nobody ever think to look for them in a cemetery you know so now that but actually... uh, other than that, I can't think of any other situations where it would happen unless there were accidents there. And then there was the occasional rare, you know, rare occurrence back in the old days where, you know, when they say saved by the bell, you know, where the mm. term came from or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, where somebody would actually be like in a deep coma and would be buried thinking they were dead, you know, because back yes. in those days, I don't think they really did any embalming. So, and these people would wake up buried. I can't think of a more hellish thing to happen, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? I was actually just thinking about that myself. Yes. Okay, so I stand very slimly, partially corrected. If there was someone who was buried by mistake, who, like you said, was in a deep coma, was in some sort of medical condition where they were presumed dead, and then they were buried only to wake up later, then yes, they would end up dying in the cemetery, at which point, okay, yes, they're probably haunting it. But as you mentioned, it's probably extremely rare that that happened. But yes, I'm going to agree with you. I don't think that it's a high percentage. So your theory to me holds water. I, I, you know, I pretty much agree with you anyway. We've discussed this many times that cemeteries are really not haunted. I think people just go there to get freaked out and stuff like that just because of the creepy nature of it because, you know, there's dead people there. Exactly. But, yeah, if you want a ghost hunt, you want to go to homes where they lived. You want to go to hospitals where people died. Mm-hmm. You want to go to battlefields, things of that nature. Amen. You know, where the... 
you know, where the energy is high, where the death counts were huge. Yeah, you'll get a ton of evidence there. But, yeah, going to a cemetery, you're pretty much wasting your damn time. Sorry. I mean, if you're going to go there for the creep factor, right? you know, whatever. I consider it half-ass disrespectful, but, you know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, and you're right. I think they go there because it's it's a, it's not just a cliche, but it's the same reason why people think that old, abandoned, rundown looking houses are haunted because that's just that's the stereotype that we've been ingrained in with through like movies and books. It's every, it always takes place in a spooky cemetery or an old, dilapidated, like rundown house, and they're always haunted. Of course. When in reality, I mean, I lived in a house that was was built for only it was only it's only two years old. And it was pretty haunted, but because the land itself had been there forever and had experienced some actual trauma and battles, and so the land itself was haunted, not the house. And it was a this brand new house. This is very, very true. Yeah. See, we live in Texas, which was a big part of the old West, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the movement West. There's no telling how many people are buried under places we have no idea because when right. people died in the old days, they just bury them wherever they fell. Yep. You know, so there's dead bodies everywhere. So, yeah, there can be all kinds of haunts. And I do want to say there was that that infamous story from Houston, I think, in the 80s or maybe 90s, where a new subdivision was built and it was built where a graveyard was and they didn't move the bodies, just the headstones. And so they, they built the houses over it. And of course, that right there may lead to a haunting because you've disturbed their burial places. Absolutely, and that would be Crosby, as a matter of fact. Yes, yes. And the basis for a you-know-what. But, <laughs> but right, but because most likely they they died at least near where they... Because it was back in the day when they, you know, they didn't travel far to bury their dead. Yeah. So they, were, they died very close to... I mean, you know, most Old West small t- towns were small anyway. So the cemetery was just on the outskirts of the town, so it was right there. It's not like mm-hmm. now... You know, where I'm in Kingwood, you know, and if, if I croak, then I get buried like down in, in downtown Houston, wherever that that's that's a good distance right there. Yes, it is. Yeah. So but let's, let's get back to the story. So, yeah, in a, the other the other side of the tale is that it wasn't the witch herself who uh, has been identified or in, at least in some stories has been identified as Anna Marple. She wasn't the one that was hanged. It was her son, Richard Marple, who was hanged. And she being the quote-unquote witch, cursed the town for doing so. Now, they are both actual real people, but the manner in which it all went down is is much more true crime than in its urban legends. Let's get into that real quick. Okay. Richard Marple moved to Lafayette from Corvallis in 1885 with his mother, Anna, and his wife, Julia. Although there were a lot of job opportunities, Richard wasn't able to gain steady employment, and instead, he made his way through robberies and stealing. Very reputable. He was suspected of multiple robberies. At some point between 1885 and 1886, Richard's mother, Anna, got together with one David Corker, a shop owner in town. But on November 11, 1887, the 28-year-old Richard Marple would be convicted of murder and stood on a scaffold in the town of Lafayette and shouted his defiance at the crowd below. Murder, he yelled, as the black hood was fitted over his head. May God judge you all. Marple had maintained his innocence until the bitter end, but his alibi story had changed several times and he'd further damaged his credibility severely by claiming that the real killer of storekeeper David Corker, the one his mother had married 12 months before, was the Yamhill County Sheriff Thomas J. Harris. 
Damn, I thought you were going to say it was the one-armed man. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. I don't care. That's my really bad, <laughs> really bad Tommy Lee Jones impression. Leading a conspiratorial cabal of prominent members of the local Mason's Lodge. Corker had been found in his bed, brutally chopped about the head and shoulders with an axe. Damn. <laughs> in the days before his murder... Marple had been overheard joking about how easy it would be to rob Corker because he was deaf. And Marple was widely suspected of being a thief and a robber, of course. Marple's mother, Anna, a hard-eyed woman who was believed to be a quote-unquote gypsy, lived with him and his wife, Julia, and his several children. The evidence against Richard Marple was circumstantial, and there really wasn't a whole lot of it, although what was there was serious. The sheriff had noticed blood on his coat the day after the murder, and Richard explained it as having come from a butchered hog. His wife, Julia, claimed it had come from a child's injury. Richard also was in possession of burglar's tools, which was important because a rear window had been forced to get in and kill Corker. There were his witness remarks about how easy it would be to rob him. The real problem for Richard Marple, though, was his mouth. Had he been able to keep quiet and be nice, he likely would have been acquitted for lack of hard evidence, but he seemed un utterly unable to keep his mouth shut. A big problem that several human beings seem to suffer these days. Oh, yeah. They just they just <laughs> run off at the mouth. It's like, shut the hell up. When he'd first been arrested, he first denied involvement and then, with a nasty smile, issued a series of uncomplimentary remarks about the deceased murder victim. Ooh, you never talk bad about someone who just died. Uh, what'd you say about my mama? What? <laughs> yeah, what? That, that's pretty much tantamount to that. you damn right. During jury selection, he made no attempt to conceal his contempt for everyone in the room and he took obvious pleasure within any display of hostility and enmity from townspeople. So it shouldn't have been much of a surprise when the jury found him guilty. The judge accidentally scheduled his hanging on a Sunday, so additional hearings had to be convened to make new arrangements, and another court had to study the question of whether the error was grave enough to require a new trial. They decided it was not. Consequently, it wasn't until a full year after the crime was committed that Marple went through the floor of a scaffold to pay for it. It wasn't a clean execution even by 1880 standards. It was a barbaric and sickening spectacle. The knot slipped up under the condemned man's chin and it took him 18 minutes to slowly strangle to death. Meanwhile, from outside the courtyard, the baleful screams of Marple's gypsy mother arose, calling down curses and maledictions upon the town, screeching that she would see it burn. Wow. By the time the grim spectacle was all over, several members of the crowd might have been feeling a little uneasy about it, wondering if all the trouble was a sign, if maybe he was innocent after all. They wouldn't wonder for long. The very next day, one of Marple's cellmates, William Henry Hess, came forward with a remarkable story. The day before his execution, Marble had pulled him aside and told him he'd give him the truth if he swore to keep it secret until after his death. Here is the story Marple told Hess. Needing money badly and knowing Corco had plenty, he had collaborated with his wife and his mother to rob him. The plan was that Anna, who was carrying on a secret affair with Corker, would, after subtly vamping the deaf merchant, fix him a drink with knockout drops in it. Then she'd unlock the door and let Richard in to rob the place. At the appointed time, Richard found that Anna had forgotten to unlock the door for him, so he had to break in through a window. He found Anna there with the drugged and sleeping Corker, and after a few minutes, they had found his wad. $203.75, which is worth about six grand in 2020 money. Only then did he realize that Anna, whose affair with Corker was of course widely suspected, would be the very first suspect hauled in for questioning when the robbery was discovered. 
especially if the entire family left town 48 hours later as they had planned to do. So, Richard Marple had an idea. They'd kill Corker and set the building on fire. Anna grabbed the axe and aimed a very diffident and girlish blow at her unconscious lover. She missed, but the pole chipped his head and woke him up. Now galvanized to action, Richard grabbed the axe and messily finished the job, but the screams and cries for help had spooked both Marple's and had been heard by passersby, so instead of lighting the place on fire, they hastily arranged the corpse in a ritualistic-looking way, hoping to deflect attention onto the masons, and then beat it. They still might have gotten away, but Julia, Richard's wife, got sick, delaying their planned exit long enough for the sheriff to develop suspicions and arrest mother and son on burglary and murder charges. Hess said Richard Marple told him that he'd killed before and with an axe, too. In 1879, he said he and three other men had murdered an old lady, Mrs. Hagar, in Oregon City. They had heard she'd come into considerable money, and Mrs. Hagar had turned out to be a savage fighter, though, and nearly turned the tables on all of them. Get it, Miss Haggard. Kill him. But eventually, Marple had gotten her with an axe. He showed Hess a ring that he had taken from her. He also told Hess that he and three other men had killed a French woman in Portland and that they had gotten quite a bit of money from her. This may have been Emma Merlotten, a French-born courtesan whose brutal axe murder in 1885 in her luxurious crib had shocked the city and led to a crackdown on brothels there. So, was all this true? Jailhouse confessions are notoriously unreliable, and it may have been a play by Hess to get out early, or possibly the, the notoriously cold-blooded Marple just wanted to put a little posthumous scare into the people of Lafayette. In any case, the people of the town believed it and likely felt less conflicted about his bungled execution after hearing it. After the execution, Julia Marple, Richard's wife, moved back to the Corvallis area less than nine months after the execution. She had remarried and was moving on with her life. Anna, his quote-unquote gypsy mother, moved to Jackson County and eked out a living on her late husband's military pension until she died at the age of 94. Nine months, though? Nine months, man. That's it. That's all it takes. So that, and she was gone, dude. Jeez. I mean, you know, she probably didn't want to be around and be associated with them anymore. And then she was, if she was in fact part of that trio that went after him, she could maybe at some point this be true. made it uh, true. as an accomplice. So she's like, yo, I'm out of here. Deuces. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is the story of Richard Marple and the, Laf- the Witch of Lafayette Orium, man. That's a badass story, dude. I liked it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I, I, I like, like that curse stuff. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of interesting. I do too. No, man, but I appreciate you digging that one up, man, because I ain't never heard that story before. But like I said, most of the stuff we come across, we either one or either both of us haven't heard of the thing. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, and this is new to me too. And uh, I love the fact that it's a mixture of true crime and, and urban legend and possible witchcraft. You know, I, I love absolutely. I love when all those things combine into one cool story. And gypsies are very, uh, very strange and cool people, man. But don't mess with them. Nope. Nope. There's something about them that is so very cool, but also very uh, mysterious and strange people. And, you know, it's one of those folks, you just you don't want to mess with them, man. It's something about them. They have a, it's almost like they have kind of a weird power about them. You know, I don't, you've heard that kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. for years and stuff. But oh, yeah. I ain't going to push it. Man, I wouldn't mess with them. Let me tell you, I was scared to hell of gypsies after I read Stephen King's Thinner. That scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Well, maybe I should go and salt one. I could use I could use to lose about two hundred pounds. <laughs> you know what? If you do it, I'll do it too, and we'll 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 see what happens. Yeah, I'm walk up to your mama. <laughs> say something. I don't know. Some kind of curse, right. right? 
All right, bud, yes, well, sir. why don't you tell them where they can interact with us and get a hold of us if they want to, and if they have any story suggestions, where they can send it to. Absolutely. Folks, you can find us on Facebook under State of Fear Podcast. We are also on Instagram, and we are on Twitter. We appreciate the following. It continues to grow at great leaps and bounds, and we appreciate that support. We really, really do. Also, you can find us on Patreon if you want to support the show. We have three levels. If you go check it out, one, five, and ten dollar levels, and you have all this access to all this great extra material and some of the goofy crap that goes on behind the scenes. That you- <laughs> Lots of goofy crap, yeah. Because there's plenty of it. Oh, yeah. Also, if you go to tpublic.com, we do have a uh, merch store there. If you go there, search State of Fear Podcast, you'll be able to find all kinds of goodies we have. Yeah, and if you have any uh, story suggestions, uh, please email them to us at uh, stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll uh, we'll get to them because we always, you know, there's nobody knows more about local legends or uh, true crime than people who live in that state. And, uh, you know, if you have something that hasn't been covered and you want us to cover it, send it on over. Absolutely. Please do so. We are also still looking for any indie bands who would be interested in a uh, free promotion. We'd like to have you as part of the show. Uh, send your information to stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com, uh, along with any links to any social media pages or, you know, songs or whatever, and we'll get them on. That's right. And and also, if you have a personal encounter, a personal story, whether it was a ghost, Bigfoot, unicorn, maybe you, you know, went to a, a diner where a serial killer used to work, anything at all, uh, you want to tell us the story about it, uh, send, it send us an email at stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll get it on the air for you. Absolutely. All right, bud. Well, I'm ready to move on to the next great state of this nation. How about you? Yes, sir. What do you say we get on down the road? Let's do it, man. All right, guys. Take care, guys. everything okay? Whenever you shop Meyer, you don't just shop for yourself. You shop for your entire community. You help keep your neighbors well with vaccine clinics and select free prescriptions. You help provide specialized care and comfort through healthcare programs across the Midwest. Whenever you shop Meyer, you help support a wide variety of programs that keep our communities healthy and thriving. Thanks for shopping with us. Learn more at Meyer.com.